1: Welcome to The Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system.
0: This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy.
2: Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Michelle Natinski, Dr. Natinsky is a psychologist here in Austin, Texas, and she does a lot of work with parents. And it's funny because I feel like we really connected on this point. This is sort of why I was interested in starting something called The Family Brain, because so often in treatment and counseling and therapy, whatever you want to call it, people bring in their child and say, fix my child. And often the most powerful relationship that that child has is the relationship with their parents and so oftentimes by working with parents it is very impactful in helping the kids and it's just a mental shift I think sometimes for people because people think well I'm not having an issue it's my child here that's having the issue we call that the designated patient um, when oftentimes there's a lot of work that can be done within the family system and you know, we all have things that can be done within our family systems to make them more optimal. And sometimes it just comes to a point where people make the decision to seek consultation and have someone help them. But honestly, I think most of us could probably benefit from having an outside party come in and sort of assess what could be done better or differently. Um, So anyway... Hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Natinsky, and I want to say thank you to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this podcast. They have everything you need for your Mac, whether you need an upgrade or accessories. Check it out, and thanks so much for supporting the podcast. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining me on The Family Brain. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is so fun. I'm I'm going to give a shout out to Isha Clearfield for putting us in touch. It's always fun when friends can connect me to people that have great information.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Isha.
2: Yes. Um so I was wondering if you could first by just sort of talk to me what what I'm covering right now is just coping during this time of COVID-19. Could you tell me a little bit about your professional background to begin with outside of this experience and um, just kind of give me a little background on you? Sure.
1: So I'm a child in school psychologist and I'm currently in um, private practice. In my practice, I support basically the adults who have relationships with children. So most of the time that means working with parents. Um, helping them gain strategies and tools for developing positive, emotionally connected relationships with their kids. But in addition, I also work with teachers, and that usually comes in the form of professional development, really doing the same thing, teaching strategies to them and giving them information about the brain and how the brain works and how that translates to behavior that we see in the classroom. So, a good summary is, I'm here to support the adults so they can best support their kids.
2: I love that. Well, and when we were first connecting, we had a good exchange about that because that's what I was seeing in my um, my professional experiences also, is that families would bring in the child, like fix the child when there's so many so many other ways to we're all capable of change and of doing things differently. And so I love that you help support the parents because a lot of times, People are willing to change, but just not sure what direction to go in.
1: Exactly. Oftentimes, I will have parents call me and they will say, "Um, I'm really concerned about my kid, and I think my kid needs to come see you. And my response is, That sounds great, but I'd like to work with you first. Because what if the tools that I share with you shift the dynamics in your family? such that your kid is no longer struggling and there's no reason for your kid to have the support of an individual therapist, let's say. Sometimes that's absolutely called for, and there are certainly circumstances where that is best practice, but oftentimes by giving parents different tools, I kind of liken it to like, if I can empower the captain of the ship, then the ship's going to take a totally different path one that's more positive, and one that's more aligned with the parents' goals that they have for their family life.
2: Yes, I love that. And that's such a, a positive way of thinking about it instead of like, oh, you maybe you're the one with the problem. No, it's just like, let's be better leaders, and we can all do better. I mean, th- and if this experience is showing us anything during COVID-19, we can all do better. I feel like it's kind of bringing out, I've had a lot of good conversations with friends and, and other professionals just about how this is a moment where some of the things that are not resolved are really coming to the surface. And I'm, I'm experiencing that myself. And I was wondering what, what you're seeing in your own practice and your own experience.
1: It's actually really interesting that you say that because I literally got a call from a mom a few days ago saying, um, I, I wouldn't ever want this to happen. I wouldn't want people to get sick and die But the little discoveries that have happened in our home in the last few months have been really powerful. And she actually said, I don't think I would have reached out to you had this not happened. But now that it has, I realize that there's some work to be done. So yes, I think that, um, I mean, adversity in any form, right, tests us in a way that easy times. Don't. And yeah. so, yeah, you're you're hitting it. That's that's mm-hmm. very much what I'm seeing, both professionally in my practice, and also in my own relationships with my kids and with my friends and their kids.
2: And I was I was speaking with a woman the other day um, about boundaries, and we were talking about how this is really an opportunity because we're not running around like crazy people as much. I mean, maybe we're feeling crazy, but stationary, you know, but we, we get the chance to sort of learn some new skills maybe. And, and we have lots of opportunities to keep practicing because we continue to be in the same situation that hasn't shifted that much. I
1: agree. And I was going to say another place where I'm really seeing that, um, is in the area of emotion regulation, so one of, I mean, I would say maybe even as parents, maybe our most important priority should be teaching our kids how to regulate their emotions. And what I mean by that is that you, in order to do that, you have to correctly identify the emotion that you're feeling. You have to know where it's showing up physiologically in your body, what feelings are you having and what thoughts are you having associated with those feelings. And once you can be adept at identifying that, then you have the opportunity to pull from a toolbox of strategies. So, okay, I'm feeling anxious. When I feel anxious, I can this, this, this. Okay, I'm feeling disappointed. When I feel disappointed, I can do A, B, C, right? And what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of feelings, everybody, big people, little people, everybody's having a lot of emotion, and therefore, it is an awesome opportunity right now to take some time to not only model healthy emotion regulation, but to direct teach it too.
2: Yes.
1: And if you have any doubt, <laughs> um, just, you know, in 15 minutes, it might happen or an hour or this afternoon or whenever. So I, I, I am seeing it as a positive that this is an opportunity that the pace, the slower pace. And time together is giving us that chance to really work on that.
2: yeah, and what would you say to the parent who is having trouble with their own emotional regulation, and so thus is not you know i I heard about this from someone no, I, I'm experiencing this so I know i am many people are just feeling sort of on this emotional roller coaster. What do you suggest to parents who are feeling that way and, and know they want to do better for their kids, but this is, they're also human and they're also going through this process? What, what's your advice for that?
1: So this, is, this is honestly the bulk of the work that I do because when a parent can be clear about what the emotional experience is that he or she is feeling and pause long enough to acknowledge it, deal with it, and then interact with their kids, I call that the power of the pause, right? Then you're going to parent and respond completely differently. Mm -hmm. So if I might, can we talk about the brain for a minute? Because this is directly related to your question. Yes. Okay. So, and this is something that I teach in classes and in one-on-one consultation with parents all the time and actually kids too. Um, So, I'm gonna make a hand model of the brain that you can teach to kids as young as four or five for sure, but resonates for parents because the same thing that's happening in our brains is what's happening in our kids' brains when they are dysregulated. So there's two parts of the brain I wanna talk about. Some of the authors in the field call the the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain. So this is the work of Drs. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. And you may have heard of them because they've written some pretty amazing books, um, Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, The Yes Brain, and their latest is called The Power of Showing Up. I'm not associated with them at all. I just um, admire their science and the art with which they apply brain-based knowledge to everyday parenting. So the downstairs brain, really, um, this is called the limbic system. And this is where we feel all of our emotions. The upstairs brain is where we have higher order functions. So things like reasoning and planning and cause and effect. Actually, empathy is located in the upstairs brain, because even though it deals with feelings, if I'm going to have empathy for you, I have to recognize the emotional experience you're having and then convey to you that I understand what you're feeling. And that is definitely higher order. So brains develop from bottom to top, in utero and then postnatally. So our limbic systems get fully developed before our upstairs brains or cortex gets wired. And our cortex doesn't actually get wired until our mid 20s, maybe even closer to 30. So why I find this important is that if you're feeling your feelings here, okay, When you are well rested, you've had your exercise, you've eaten nutritious food, this brain feels a sense of purpose, there's a really free flow of information, the smooth flow between your feelings and your thinking. So you might, let's say before coming on to talk to you today, I had technical difficulties that might've made me frustrated. But if I had good rest and all those other things I mentioned, I would just say, take a deep breath, Michelle. What do you need to do to figure it out? I would employ my upstairs brain to help me and everything would stay engaged and working together. But here's the rub. When our emotions get so intense that they overwhelm the limbic system. Siegel and Bryson call this flipping your lid. Mm. What happens is, that has two meanings. One is you lose control, you lose your temper. The other means that the connecting neurons between your downstairs brain and your upstairs brain are not functional. So you're so frustrated that you don't have access to your problem-solving skills. This is what's happening to grown-ups, to parents, and to our kids when we're overwhelmed with emotion we literally cannot access the more functional thinking part of our brain. So when you ask me, what do parents do when they get dysregulated or flip their lid as Siegelman Bryson would say, the key is how do you get your lid back on? How do you reengage the upstairs brain so that you can draw on your problem solving skills, your communication skills, your empathy for others. And so the first step is understanding this and recognizing when you're flipped. Once you recognize when you're, in, you're flipped, then that's half the battle because then you can just say, my lid is flipped, I'm solely in my limbic system. How do I calm myself to re-engage the upstairs brain? And that's going to look different for each of us. For some of us, that's breathing, right? Taking a deep breath. There's a reason why we coach people to do that. And that's because when you breathe, you activate parts of your nervous system. So your system can't do anything but calm down. So for me, I'm always, as a mom, I'm always gonna take some breaths to help my lid come back down. It might be walking away from the situation for a minute to get some clarity. It might be listening to music. It might be communicating what is going on in your body in that moment. So for example, it's much better for me to say to my kids, y'all, I'm super flipped right now and I need a minute mm-hmm. than to yell something hurtful, shaming them, or just you know attacking from here yeah. rather than having a fully integrated brain. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think part of this whole parenting thing, this gig, is figuring out what do you need to do in that moment when you're flipped to re-engage your upstairs brain so that you can bring whatever whatever wealth of tools you may have read in a book or heard on a podcast or seen in an interview one day.
2: Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the things I've noticed with myself and in, in talking to others, I know I'm not the only one is that it's easy to get caught in, oh my gosh, I just flipped my lid. I'm such an idiot. I get it together. Come on. What's wrong with you? And that, I think it sounds like, keeps your lid flipped for longer and longer and longer.
1: It does. And actually, so that's like a shame, I call it, you know, shame spiral. Um, and that actually keeps you reengaged in it in two ways. Neurochemically. You're, in, you're re-engaging that circuitry. So you're releasing more cortisol, right? So there's a chemical level of that. And we're re-engaging that with our thoughts. So there's two things going on. And being able to stop the thoughts affects the physiology of it too. Mm-hmm. So you're, you, are, you have learned well from those around you. And it is true that, that when you realize you're flipped, the language you want to be saying is, oh gosh, my limbic system hijacked my cortex. Oh no. How can I re-engage my cortex so that I can be the best mom, the best spouse, the best worker, the best teacher in this moment? And self-compassion, self-compassion, self-compassion. That's the only way to tell the Neurochemicals. Hey, chill out. I got this. It's okay. I'm not under siege anymore. I'm okay.
2: What about if so? In I have, my kids are a little bit older, and in this homeschooling experiment, um, they've been pretty good about getting on their own things. I was talking to someone earlier today who has younger children and really needs to do everything to get them set up on this new system that we've implemented with Zoom calls and all of this. And this person is also working themselves as a teacher. So needing to get on and actually provide services for others. And what is, what is your, what do you see? What do you, what would be your advice to this person if they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I just can't keep it up. I mean, my reaction is you shouldn't have to, like, this is crazy, but if this is what it is, and you're trying to keep your job and keep your children engaged in education too, what's, what would be your advice for that situation?
1: So just know I'm having this conversation every single day. Mm-hmm. So this, is, this is a huge experience that many people are having right now. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is that what, we, what you just described is not homeschooling. I'd like to make a distinction because with that distinction is also going to have a a mindset shift. Homeschooling is a very intentional decision by a family who plans the curriculum, who chooses the schedule, and really aligns the whole family life and structure around this decision. This is not what we are doing right now. So I'm calling this crisis schooling. Because we're in a crisis and we're trying, and most of us are not professional teachers. And even if you are a professional teacher, you, you're still not trained to do that professional skill set at the same time as doing the laundry, cleaning the house, tending to the pets, doing your own work. Like, so this is crisis schooling. And with crisis schooling, we need to have a different mindset. Okay. I like that. Couple thoughts. First of all, I think we need to be really realistic about the developmental um, realities of our kids. So for me, for example, like you, I have a little bit older kids. I have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. And they already have a lot of independent skills, especially when it comes to technology and when it comes to their own schooling. So think about, and if you have any questions about this, Someone like me is a great person to ask to bounce off of what is developmentally appropriate? What's a developmentally appropriate expectation for a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, right? And so understand that there are some of these things that our kids are being asked to do that they are not capable of doing independently. They're just not. They're not there yet. Or maybe they're capable some days when they have a really integrated brain to work with, but some days they don't have it there, right? There's disrupted sleep, there's feelings, tremendous feelings of grief and loss, disconnection from social supports. So there's a lot of factors that are gonna cause our kids to have inconsistency in the skills that they might have. So for parents of littles, just know that it's unrealistic to, to put them on an activity and walk away and just think for a period of time, they're gonna be able to sustain attention and focus and concentration. That's gonna be a really limited window. So that behooves us as parents balancing all the things we have to do to be realistic about the time frame of what that's gonna look like and to set boundaries. You mentioned boundaries before. There are gonna be times when parents are gonna to have to have uninterrupted um, blocks of time to take care of work responsibilities. And that is an opportunity to teach our kids those boundaries. So, but if you say that the whole day you're unavailable and they can't have connection with you, you're going to see the ill effects of that in their behavior as they're seeking connection from you. Yeah. So you have to sort of figure out what's the balance. And over all of this topic, I would say number one goal you should have right now is keeping the emotional tone in your home safe. When things start to get rocky and kids don't feel safe or you don't feel safe in the emotional back and forth that you're having, stop take a break, reevaluate. And by the way, this is something that teachers do in their classrooms all day long. They are experts at this. So, yeah, I would say let's not sacrifice our relationships with our kids for academics that we're trying our best to um facilitate but really don't necessarily have the skill sets to do so.
2: Yes. So how- Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I think the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking is just this idea that we're expecting kids, regardless, well- keeping in mind their developmental level, but also that all kids are different. And some kids might be like, oh, Zoom, cool, you know? And some kids are like, what in the world are you asking me to do? It's too overstimulating or it doesn't make any sense to them. And it's, I've I realized this about myself. I actually really enjoy having this kind of conversation with one other person through Zoom. When it's a bunch of screens, Brady Bunch style, I lose my mind. It's so overstimulating to me. I can't keep track of it all. And that's what we're asking these kids to do is look at, here's your entire class in their rooms, maybe paying attention. It's, it's, it's a lot to ask and some kids are going to be fine with that. And then other kids, it's just going to be too much and it's just overstimulating.
1: Yeah. And there's been, there, the, there, this has been reflected in the literature of late. Some people are writing about this okay. and they're acknowledging just that point that there's so much individuality. That um, is coming into play. That for kids with social anxiety and difficulty with social connection, this online experience has been a dream come true. For our kids who love the energy of being in a classroom with twenty-five other humans and feeding off of that, this is, this has been challenging. And so I think, and and within a family, let's bring it to a family context, right? If you have more than one kid you might be seeing that across your kids, right? You might see some taking to it really well and others really struggling and saying, this is hard. I don't like this. This isn't clear yeah. and it doesn't jive with me.
2: Yes. And I think it's a process where when we're at like going back to the parental regulation, it, when I'm feeling good or when I'm feeling like my lid is on, I can see that in my children. I can process, oh, here's what might be going on. When my lid is off, I'm like, just get on the damn call. You know, I mean, it's not as easy to have that empathy, have that compassion, and really even process what might be going on for the child. Um,
1: That's why parents getting skilled at identifying where they are in their brain is so crucial. Because if you're here, if you're flipped, and you're gonna to try to engage, so this is my depiction of a flipped parent trying to engage with a flipped kid. And all that's happening is raw emotion. There's no thinking brains being activated. So I didn't say this before, but this would be a good time to say it. So the key to get a flipped lid back on, it's like the million dollar question, is, actually counterintuitive to what most of us tend to do. So if our kid is flipped, right? And they're showing big emotions, let's say frustration. Okay, they are frustrated with their math and they're angry and they're really upset about it, right? We as adults tend to go upstairs brain and we start saying things like, well, didn't, didn't your teacher talk about this this morning in the Zoom and haven't you ever done this before? and were you not listening? We go way upstairs brain as opposed to attending to what's really being shown to us, which is the big emotion. And what I would suggest that we do is talk to the brain that you're being shown. So I might say, I see that you're really frustrated with that math homework right now. Ugh, that looks really hard. This, by the way, is empathy. Okay. Oh. And then as I start to maybe see that maybe the lid is kind of beginning to come back down and only then I might say something to engage the upstairs brain. Like what would be helpful to you right now? Now, if I'm really thinking about it, huh, what would be helpful? Well, maybe I could go back and look at that book and see what it said about that problem. Or maybe I need to ask my teacher a question or, I'm gonna give it a try, but will you sit with me while I do this and tell me if I'm on the right track, right? I love that question to anytime ask someone in distress, what would be helpful to you right now? Because it serves two purposes. The immediate purpose is it helps them figure out what to do right then. The longer goal, which I'm always big picture when I'm thinking about parenting, I'm always thinking about What do I need to equip you with, kid, so that you'll be successful when I'm no longer here, right? What would be helpful to you if when you're a kid, every time you're struggling, someone prompts you to think of that, Mm. that then becomes internalized. And when you're on your own and you face adversity, that's the first thing you say, what would be helpful right now? And that is problem solving oriented. That is upstairs brain bringing the best to bear of your reasoning without getting stuck in the emotion of the downstairs brain.
2: I love that. You're so good at making it very clear and clear strategies. Because I think I end up being much more in the theoretical, like, you know, oh, it's hard. And what But I love how you're, and, and do this. It's very, it gives structure. And I need that more, even just for myself, what would be helpful to me right now? Right. Instead of just like, you know, rolling around in the mess. Exactly. And it's,
1: that's part of the joy that I had in doing this work and in being a mom, because I'm doing this alongside you right here every day, is that, when we employ those really healthy, focused strategies for ourselves, we get the benefit as an individual, and it serves double duty that we're also modeling. So I say all that stuff. I mean, my poor kids, I mean, they're so sick to death of hearing it, but I say all that stuff out loud. Ugh, I'm feeling real. Like this morning, I had a computer problem this morning, and my 13-year-old son was thankfully right there. And I said, "Oh, I'm so frustrated." Okay, take a deep breath. What do I need to do? And so he's literally hearing me, mm-hmm. which means that over time he has a better shot of internalizing and integrating that into what he does when he finds a, a sticky point. And I, yeah, I just think it's like it's like double. It's a double benefit.
2: Yes. And my favorite thing these days is when you do something like that. Is you you do hashtag homeschooling. Like, you just thought, like, I like to say it out loud, because I kind of, it gives me a little point on yeah. the board, you know, like, I just did something good.
1: That's right. Myself a
2: little pat on the back. That's
1: um, awesome.
2: One of the questions I have is, I'm just picturing some of the stuff we've had going on here, and sometimes one of the adults in the parenting might have a flipped lid, and the other one is okay. What do you, or, or does not have that flipped lid, but yet the flipped lid one is the one engaging with the other flipped lid child. How do you suggest managing that? Because I think it's tricky with with you know parenting. You don't want to disrespect the other parent, and and vice versa. I mean, I'm 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 also flipping my lid. Um, what do you suggest in those moments to help that situation when you think you could maybe help, or do you just step back?
1: That's a great question, and it actually comes up a lot in the work that I do because I'm really fortunate to with the majority of the times I get the privilege of working with both parents together. And why that is so helpful is because, first of all, I can teach the same material. But even more importantly, that helps those parents develop a system for what are we going to do when. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a lot of great clients who call it tagging in and tagging out right? So um, when they recognize that their partner is dysregulated and attempting to interact with a dysregulated kid, they'll come up with some kind of system, whether it's a code word or a code sign or something Mm -hmm. for like, I see you over there. I see your flip and it's gentle and loving and not critical, right? It's a recognition of, we are in this together, and right now I see you're struggling. Let me throw you a lifeline. Brene Brown talks about this in a little bit of a different way, but I really like it. She talks about teaching everybody in the family to get clear on kind of like what percent of their battery they're working with at any given time. So, and then when you can identify it, then you can communicate that way. So in her family with her, now they're, they're grown, but, but, um, with her kids, they always have had that system. So like her son would come in from practice, sports practice, and he would say, I'm like at 10%. I need some time alone. I just need to go chill and everybody else would rally and be able to support him in his 10% to go get juiced up, to get a little more, um, fuel in his tank mm-hmm. with parents. Like, that's also a great way to talk about, like, I'm at about 60, where are you? I'm at about 40. All right, cool. I got my extra 20% will get us through dinner, and then you can rest a little and then pick up. So it just is giving you some language for Mm -hmm. tagging in and tagging out, depending on what resources you have at the time. Mm -hmm. But I think a conversation with your partner about that um, ahead of time helps because if you're in the moment and you haven't discussed this and then then your efforts to support might come across as critical rather than helpful
2: yes no that makes a lot of sense Um, one of the things again just being in this new circumstance i've noticed even if i don't have the conversation in advance and there is a mess that happens Having a conversation, okay, that didn't go well. What can we do differently? What can we shift? And I think you're right, having this shared language so that you kind of have a sense of what someone's intention is instead of feeling like, you know, it's too much. I've noticed for myself at the end of the day, I'm just like, uh, but I kind of feel like everybody's kind of done. So it's like, how do we get this ship in a different position so we're not trying to do all this work on the ship when the ship is like out of batteries? That's not the best analogy, but. get my point
1: i get your point and i actually this is something that i talk about quite a bit um in my work with parents which is because the time to have these discussions is not when everybody's stuck in their limbic system right it's when everybody is calm and integrated and often that there's a separation of time between the escalation of the blow, blow up and the calm time so some good times that that might be helpful to have some of these conversations are like meal times like assuming everybody's just in a good calm place and just eating then that you can say hey I've noticed that by the time we get to eight o'clock nine o'clock whatever time everybody's sort of burnt out so what can we put in place so that our communication is Clear and respectful and that we honor people's needs and blah 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 whatever the things are you want to talk about Um, back in the day when we were all driving in cars that's not really happening right now Mm -hmm. but that I would recommend to parents like car rides are also a really good time to have conversations about preparing for what we're going to do when that inevitable sticky moment comes because we know it will come and those conversations can be had in as a family as a whole, but also between parenting partners
2: too. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, I just, I like, I love this imagery of the lid. And I I think what I'm noticing with all of this time together is that often when one of the children's lids get flipped, I just let it flip my lid so fast. And I think it's like, I don't want them to be sad or I don't want them to be upset. So then that upsets me, but then I'm kind of irritated with them like because they flip my lid and I've given them that power, but they shouldn't have that. I mean, it's this whole da, 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 So what, yeah. what do you suggest for like strengthening yourself in that when you know there are certain, some kids are just more, their their lids get flipped faster, let's say. If you have a child like that, how do you sort of strengthen yourself kind of to know it's going to come and stay and, and kind of maybe try to keep your lid on so that you can manage with them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing is just to have the awareness that this and this is not productive. Mm-hmm. Not only is it not productive in terms of teaching kids lacking skills, it's really damaging to our relationships. So you have to first acknowledge that this is something worth working toward. Like you have to make that commitment that I don't want to constantly be doing this. Right. That if my kid flips, I want to be able to stay like this so that I can bring the best to bear to the Mm -hmm. situation and model for them that it can be like this. Right. So, What I will say, which I'm sure is not the first time you've heard this, I have not yet met a person, a parent, who is able to do, to stay in their upstairs brain consistently with regularity, not perfection. Notice I didn't say 100%, but majority of the time, who does not also put, devoted effort into taking care of their own needs, right? So this might be a good time to make a distinction between self-care, which people talk about a lot, and self-soothing. So self-soothing are activities that we do that make us feel better, um, that are of value and we need to have in our routine. For me, my current go-to self-soothing activity is watching shows. That's my Netflix binge, Is that's my self-soothing right now, right? And I shouldn't really use the word binge. That's not really fair because I am being boundaried about it because I recognize that that's self-soothing. Self-care are the activities that Maybe feel good or maybe don't feel great in the moment, like exercise. I don't like to exercise, but I do it because it's what helps me keep my lid on in those moments. Mm -hmm. So self-care might be making sure you're getting enough sleep, which might be directly at odds with my favorite self-soothing activity, which is watching TV, right? And having the balance of the two. It's not that one is good and one is bad. No, figuring out what are your most effective self-soothing activities? What are your most effective self-care activities? And what's the just right balance for you? And that varies tremendously across people. Yeah. Um, but if, if, you, if you have not yet figured that out, this pandemic would be a great time to do that. Yeah. Um. So, is that kind of clear the distinction?
2: two? and I think that one of the things that I um I spoke with a woman yesterday who is a sobriety coach, and she was talking about the same thing about how self care is an ongoing, like all day thing of like making sure you are setting your boundaries, making sure you are creating a life that you want to be in. And if you get to the point where your lid is constantly flipping or you're constantly wanting to just drink to get rid of those feelings, perhaps the self-care hasn't been happening throughout the day. And I will say that's not easy to do, especially when the world has just like been thrown, I keep saying thrown in a blender. Like it just feels like all the things we know and maybe that were working for us have now shifted. So when the ground is shifting under you, it makes sense that it's hard to figure out what that self-care is, but that's sort of where the work is. And it's not a a one one experience type thing. It's a all day thing.
1: Ongoing. And I would also add to that, I I agree with her. And I would also add that I'd encourage you to think about self-care in different increments of time. So like, I just paused and took a sip of my water. That's self-care, right? Keeping myself hydrated, that's important. It might be 30 seconds or a minute. You know, our technology sometimes tells us to breathe if we allow it to, right? That self-care looks all kinds of different ways. It can be one minute, it can be It can be three minutes of just making it, cup of hot tea and drinking it slowly and just thinking about the tea right being mindful about the tea and shutting everything else out just for a couple minutes it could be something longer it could be a walk with the dog or a walk with the kids or it could really be something really long like i'm i'm gonna take two hours to go watch this movie in my room by myself and i want everybody else to give me that time you know whatever it is Think about it in different time increments and scattered throughout the day. And for me, in my work, what I see is that the people who are able to take that seriously and really implement it have a much better chance of doing, of keeping their lid on and keeping their lid on amidst the flipping of everyone else around them.
2: Mm And I think yeah. what I'm realizing is that it it's it, the stumbling block can sometimes be like, do I deserve it? Do, am I worth taking that time? You know, because I think so often as parents, we're putting so much energy towards our kids that it is a mental shift to think about, well, what do I need to do to make sure I'm at my strongest and often it's not until the lid gets flipped that we, okay, now what do I do to like fix it? But how do I strategize? So it's not, slipping as often or as as much?
1: I would say if you're questioning whether you think you're worth it, I would go one step further and ask, are your kids worth it? In other words, do your kids deserve to have a parent who parents from here or parents from here?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I Think everybody is going to say no? I I want my kid to have a parent who responds with a full integrated brain, capable of integrating feelings and reasoning and thinking to the best of their capability. Right. And then it becomes it's like a no brainer.
0: Right.
1: Um, and again, this is this is an aspect of wellness that really cuts across everything. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. Would I skip going to my annual physical because I didn't think I was worth the time of that? I don't know. I, for my kids sake, as well as my own, I would like them to have a healthy mom. So mm-hmm. I make a priority to get my, go to the doctor and go to the dentist and take care of myself. And that also means exercising my body, making time to eat good Food. I mean some of us I'm seeing memes and things about what people are eating and drinking and I know that's all funny and we need the humor to keep us going but what are you really feeding yourself right now is it junk or is it good nutritious food because that has a direct connection to your ability to do this and I mean there's there's plenty more right connection um, you know physical activity being out in nature, getting your vitamin D. I mean, there's lots of aspects of it. But I would just say when a parent faces that, is it selfish of me to go do this right now? I don't know. For me, if it's what helps me respond to my kids like this, I'm going to pick that every time. Because the parent that I am when I come from here is not really aligned with how I really want to be. I want to be it.
2: Well, and I think one of the things in terms of like the trajectory of dealing with this crisis is that at first you are in crisis mode, but now we're kind of settling into it, and we kind of have to create some new strategies. And I mean, I know what I was doing right at the beginning of all of this, which was like maniacally cleaning, which was great. Like it wasn't sustainable. Like it wasn't. And and I almost wish I could get a little bit of that mojo back, but it's not there. But it's just like we we're kind of in that rebuilding of like that new normal. And so noticing what, what helps you keep your lid on, what helps you feel better is critical at this time. And I think we're all doing it together. And I think that's why I love conversations like this because you know, you're not the only one who's trying to figure this out and trying to manage like, Oh gosh, it would feel nice to, to, um, you know, sort of wallow, but then there you pay the piper. For, you know, it doesn't actually feel good in the long run, even if it feels good in the moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. The adrenaline of this situation has worn off. Yeah. Right. And it's, there's some acceptance that is creeping in. Um, and what I would say, what, what I have seen articulated that for me resonates is the loss of certainty. Is particularly dysregulating,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So when your kids ask you questions that you can't answer, when are we going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to go to the beach this summer? Am I going to go on this trip? When am I go- when are we going to see our grandparents? The fact that we can't answer those questions is um, d- is dysregulating. It really sets us. It makes us wobbly. Mm-hmm. It makes us wobbly, and so acknowledging that and giving some like just some self-compassion and some grace for ourselves around that is just really important um and yeah and also with that acceptance figuring out how do the human beings in this house how are we going to live how are we going to be with one another in a way that meets everybody's needs Mm -hmm. so kind of looking for what are those win-win solutions Yeah, really important. And, and you're right, everybody's kind of trying to figure that out right now. And it's a moving target too.
2: That's the other things I loved. uh, This woman I was speaking with the other day was saying that um, I was asking what is her sort of touchstone practice right now that's helping her feel more balanced. And she was talking about what hers was, but she says they came together as a family to talk about it for each of them. And I was like, genius. I mean, it seems so obvious, but because I think about what do I need and then I think about what do my kids need, but how cool to have everybody take a moment and see, you know what they say. And it might not be the answer you want. Cause m- my children might say, I need to play Fortnite all day. Like, right. okay, well, for sure, we'll see. <laughs> but, um, but I love that idea of just sort of giving your kids that language that you're also seeking for yourself. And they might not have the answer right away in the same way that you might not have the answer right away, but like, let's pay attention to what's feeling good and what's working for us. I thought that was really neat. That's awesome. And what is your touchstone practice that you're doing that's helping you stay centered? Uh,
1: yeah, it- I would say I probably have a couple. Um, for me, exercise and physical movement is really important. I figured that out when my kids were little. That even though I don't, I don't like it. I don't. I'm not sporty. Spice. I do not like to exercise, mm-hmm. but I have, I have incorporated it in my routine. Pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and I do think it helps my 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 mental health. I think it helps my well-being, um, and I think it helps me keep my lid on. So I would say exercise. Um, we have a new puppy hmm. that we got right before this all happened, um, and I have to say that the oxytocin release from being with this puppy has been really awesome.
2: Yeah, um, and that's what I'm realizing right now. I just saw something the other day that it's, it was like all, all, uh, all animals are therapy dogs. I mean, and I think we're all kind of feeling that sort of animal love right now.
1: For sure, for sure. So there are others. I meditate and I think that that helps too. I'm not um, like great at it, meaning I can't do it for that long of a time, but I still try. I still make it a consistent practice um and I would say sleep too I I don't when I don't sleep I parent from here and it is not great so when I get enough sleep I feel like I can I can I can do some more upstairs brain parenting
2: yes Awesome. I love hearing what people's things are and just kind of gives me ideas. Somebody yesterday was telling me that they put their phone on airplane mode from bedtime until they're finished with their morning routine. I was like, genius. I mean, because I just think about sometimes I look down at my phone and already my brain is my lids off just from whatever is showing up there that I don't I didn't know was coming. Um, So it's fun for me to hear what other people are doing. That's great. Thank you so much for talking to me. I love, I think your, your approach is just so um, concrete, which I appreciate. Like, it's just, it's very practical skills. And um, if people want to learn more about you, where would they find your information?
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's been a delightful, delightful conversation. So you can find out information about me um, on my website, which is um natinsky So that's I'm also on Facebook. I have a practice page at Michelle Natinsky PhD. You can also find me um, on LinkedIn and on the website you can um, learn about individual consultation as well as classes and workshops I'm just now getting I've had to of course shift during pandemic but I'm starting to um, publish my schedule for the summer what classes I'm going to be offering which is a little bit different this summer because a lot of times I take a break from offering classes that are in a series because of people traveling but this summer I'm not thinking that there's going to be as much travel and so I think that's going to Provide an opportunity to teach some of those classes that normally have to be saved for fall and spring. So, those are all places that people can find me, and I'm happy to answer questions too. If people listening have questions about anything we talked about, um, email me. My email address is on that website, and I really would welcome the opportunity to
2: help people out. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was great talking talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about The Family Brain, check us out on Instagram, Family Brain Podcast, or on Facebook, The Family Brain Podcast. And if you would leave a review or a rating, it helps people find us and spread the word. Thanks so much for listening.